Prophecy always sounds, true prophecy always sounds like a loving father talking to a son or a daughter. Even when he corrects, he doesn't condemn. Some of you right now, the Lord is fine-tuning your ear to hear the voice of the lover of your soul, to hear the voice of your father wooing you, calling you into himself. Another real simple way you can discern if prophecy is true, it will always line up with the word of God. Because God never contradicts himself. And I believe that the Lord is not just releasing great gifts of revelation upon this church, but I believe he's releasing the discernment to recognize the voice and the motive behind the voice. The Lord wants to use this house to heal the prophetic. He wants to use those of you in this room to actually heal people's ears to hear the voice of God once again. A few years ago, I was getting weary with a lot of personal ministry. I, I did a lot of two, three, four a.m. nights. One of my longest meetings was seven at night to 7.30 in the next morning. Don't worry, that won't happen today. I'll have you out by six. No, I'm just kidding. The Broncos are playing, man. And I'm becoming a Broncos fan because the Bears ain't doing much. Thanks for John Fox, but what in the heck were you doing giving us Cutler? What, just kick the whiny babies out of Denver Day or what? Save him, Jesus, and then trade him. Come back, Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. You should never let sports get in your service, but the spirit of JR just hit me. And... I thought, man, his fingers are going fast. He's, he's making a lot of notes, and then I realized he's checking the NFL scores. And, uh, no. His phone's underneath his seat today. But, but I was getting weary, man, in personal prophecy. And the reason I was getting weary in it is because the Lord, it was the Lord's fault. He told me, he, he said, you know, 90% of the words you give won't come to pass. Not because they're wrong, not because you missed it, not because the timing was off, not because it was a false prophecy, but because the people will never do anything with it. So I thought, you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll pick three people out. I'll, I'll preach a prophetic message and then go home. I'm in on a trip to um, Australia and I have my spiritual son with me named Trey and before his diving accident. He was my keyboard guy and my PA and, and we're, we're in this leaders meeting and uh, it was like supposed to go 7 to 8.30 and 8.30 God was moving and the pastor said keep going and I prayed for some more people at 10. He said keep going at 12.30 I was still praying for people and I looked as Trey was on the keyboard just playing and just tears streaming. Tears streaming down his face but he was laughing at the same time. 
Finally, I don't know, one, two in the morning, we got out of there, went back to our room and said, man, what was that about? He said, David, you can be whatever you want. You can be a great preacher, whatever, but at the end of the day, you're just God's prophet to God's people. And if you'll do what he asks you to do, God will use you to heal the prophetic. That's a big word. It's a word I don't take lightly. But I believe, listen, there's been a lot of shenanigans. There's been a lot of, uh, of people that have used prophetic gifts to manipulate people. But I believe there's a pure stream that God is establishing in this house for people to hear God and reveal his heart and his mind to people. And I believe one of the things that you're going to be is a prophetic outpost that brings healing to the prophetic. I believe there's three things that are major things that will make you who you are. Number one, I believe you're going to be a fortress for families. There's going to be strong families in this house. Second, I believe you're going to be an apostolic resource center, training, equipping, sending people out. And thirdly, that prophetic outpost. Here's what I've discovered. Most people want prophecy, but they don't know what to do with it. Isn't that true? Some people are afraid of prophecy because they think the Lord's going to call out all your dirty laundry. On October 1st at 3.15, you thought this. And on the way to church, you and your wife had intense fellowship. And we think somehow that God has kept all of these records of wrong. Listen, prophecy doesn't call you out, it calls you up calls you up into who you are. I'll never forget the Lord spoke this to me. He said, if you hear people talking more about, prophesying about somebody, prophesying more about somebody's past, check the source. And here's what he said. If it's under the blood, it's under the blood. And if it's separated as far as the east is from the west, and I don't remember it all, then how can I tell prophetic people about it? Check the source. I, I want to be careful. I want to be open. Can God speak to me about things in my past? Yes. Why? To get my attention. But if he speaks something about my past, he, 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 it becomes an aha so that he can point me to my future. What do you do with a word? Hebrews 10 and 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Listen, God will keep his word over, over your life because he is faithful. Are you hearing me? Hebrews 11 and 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the, world of God, by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Verse 2, it actually says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, he's saying, By faith elders received a word from God, and they framed their world with it. And you can look at it one of two ways. One, you can look at it as a snapshot and they put a picture frame around it. But the actual translation is this. They had a word from God and they built their world around with the word. 
And God's been releasing some words throughout this weekend. And I don't just think they're blessing words, I think they're building words. This is not just a house that blesses. You're not just the people of God that bless, but you're gonna be a people of God in a church that builds. Come on, that's good news right there. It's not just about blessing, it's also about building. So what do you do with a prophetic word? I'm gonna share another intimate thing in my life similar to what I did last night. So I do, I, I want to give you the context. I, I want to read the scripture. Because I read this scripture, you will find the process of prophecy. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It's going to be kind of a, a long story. You can follow along or you can listen. But it's important that I read it to you. Second Kings 4, 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food because the weight of the prophet's heart is through his stomach. I, I added that part. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Stop a second. Here's what she did. Number one, she prepared to accommodate. Before Jesus ever said, receive a prophet in the name of a prophet and you'll reap a prophet's reward, she prepared to accommodate something that she didn't even know what was coming. It's one thing to prepare for what you've seen and you've known. It's something completely different to prepare for what you've never seen. And God has anointed you as a house to prepare for the unseen. I say it like this, preparation belongs to me, but timing belongs to the Lord. And timing can become the great sifter of your dreams. So if you're not sure of something, can I tell you? Sometimes you just need to sit back, take a deep breath, and let God move you into the timing of his word. Then what did she do? She discerned. She recognized an anointing. She recognized that this is a holy man of God. This is not some average guy. This is not just somebody passing through. But she discerned, she recognized an anointing. Because that anointing is connected to an appointed time. And I'm telling you right now, the Lord, every one of you in this room, God wants to release a spirit of discernment, the gift of discernment, so that you could recognize an anointing, but also like the sons of Issachar, you would know your time and your season in the earth. She prepared to accommodate. She recognized, she discerned an anointing. She said to her husband, please, in verse 10, please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes through to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and laid down. Then he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. And when he called her, she stood before him and he said, and, she, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been, concerned, uh, you've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. She was saying, I don't need anything from you. I'm a notable woman. I have all the substance. I have all the resource I need. I'm happy where I'm at. We're good. We're protected. Everything's good for us. Verse 14, so he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. 
So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you'll embrace a son. And her response to prophecy is any different than I've ever, is the most different response that I've ever seen before in my life. She wasn't like, oh, Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord. It wasn't Shababa. Here's a response. No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. You know what she was saying? What some of us need to, what some of us need to say. Don't tickle my ears. Don't just tell me what I want to hear. You know what she did immediately? She tested the word. Some of us don't test our words. What do you test it? Sound like a loving father talking to a son or a daughter? Does it line up with scripture? What's the heart behind it? Is it a now word or a future word? And she tested it. It was a a different response. It was a strange response. But I like what the Bible says. But the woman conceived and bore a son when when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. The child grew, and now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. He had a sunstroke. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. And again, her response is different. That she called to her husband and said, uh, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And her husband said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath or Rosh Hashanah or Sunday or Saturday night. It's not a conference. Breathe isn't on. And she said, it is well. Here's why it's significant. You've got to test the word because the word will test you. You've got to test the word because afterwards the word will test you. Her response is different. She is not viewing the death of her child as final. You want to know why? She refuses to let her circumstance dictate who God is. She refuses to let her circumstance change who God is. But instead, she says, it is well because God is about to change my circumstances. It is well. You may think that's irrational. You think she should be maybe weeping and calling the rabbi to get the funeral ready, calling the undertaker. But she just says, it is well. She goes out to the man of God, and and, and I'm just going to fast forward the story. Elisha sees her coming, sends Gehazi, and Gehazi's trying to block her and be the middleman, and she said, I'm not going for that. And She runs and she grabs a hold of Elisha's feet, and Gehazi's trying to push her away, and Elisha says, no, she's in deep distress, and the Lord's hidden it from me. And what does she say? can read it in there. She says these words, did I not tell you not to lie to me? Didn't I tell you, don't tell me what I want to hear? I didn't ask for anything. You brought this word to me. It came to pass and now it's dead. So what's God going to do about it now? He sends Gehazi ahead 
says, go lay, your, lay my staff on him. And the lady says, as sure as I live and the Lord lives and you live, I'm not, I'm not letting you go. You're coming with me. She persuades him and he goes with her and Gehazi's there. He's doing his best, but nothing's happening because he doesn't have the anointing. And Elisha goes in, shuts the door, paces back and forth, lays on the child, puts his hands on the child, his mouth on the child, his head on the child. And all of a sudden, the child begins to cough and sneeze seven times, and he comes back to life. And Elisha picks up that child and hands him back to his mother. She bows down and she worships. It's an unusual story, but throughout the whole story, you will find the process to your promise. Number one, nothing will happen without preparation. Prepare to accommodate. Position yourself. Recognize, discern an anointing. Discern the time that you're in. Receive a word. Receive the word, but then test the word. And after you test the word, the word will test you. But I will tell you with everything within me that he who made the promise is faithful. And if God said it, he will do it. And the season of time that he's bringing us into is the season for us to watch him do what he said he would do. I've got to partner with my prophecy. How? I've got to posture my heart realizing that God knows God's intentions are better for me than even my own. That he knows the plans that he has for me to give me a hope and a future. Let me tell you one of the most painful, difficult seasons of my life. 2003 and four, we'd launched out full-time in a ministry on faith. We had great kids my whole life. I wanted a dad, and then when I grew up, I just wanted to be a dad. I love being a dad more than anything else. Because my kids are an inheritance from the Lord. They're a blessing from the Lord. And I'd have a hundred if my wife would let me. I would, man. Every time I go to Africa, I call her and say, can I bring this one home? We had three kids. Era was five and Ben was three and Caleb was one and a half. We were pregnant with... Another one, and I did something with this child that I didn't do with any of the others. I was in a meeting. My wife was there in our home church on a Sunday night. I, I said, baby, I, I need to stand up. I feel this real strong from the Lord. And I prophesied to my wife publicly in front of a couple hundred people. It was before we had an ultrasound or anything. I said, uh, the baby you're carrying is a girl. We're going to name her Rayma Joy because the word brings joy. She's going to be a praise and worship leader. She's going to dance. It's, like, it's almost like she's going to be born with golden slippers on her feet. And we cried. I mean, it was a great word. Everybody applauded. It was wonderful. That was in the beginning of the pregnancy. When my wife was about six and a half months pregnant, I was ministering in Connecticut, New York. And so I was finishing up the last night. I had one more day in New York City. At about 2.30 in the morning, my little boy, it was about 2 uh, named Caleb, he, he went into my wife's room, wakes her up and says, Mommy, you need to go to the doctor. The baby has a boo-boo. And my wife said, Honey, you just had a bad dream. Go to sleep. Everything's fine. And my wife woke up at 6 in the morning and she was hemorrhaging. She was bleeding. Called me and I flew home. We went to the doctor. and We went in the ultrasound tech, was checking 
the baby and I could see the baby on the monitor just like I always had been able to. But I recognized something was missing. The heartbeat was missing. And the tech was checking and she got another tech and they both looked concerned. They got a nurse and the nurse shook her head and walked out, got the doctor and the doctor came in. And the doctor said, oh, I'm so sorry. Your baby's dead. And in that moment, the enemy like got on my shoulder like an amplifier, man. And he just said, you stupid prophet. You stood your wife up in front of your home church. It was recorded. She wrote it down in her journal. You prepared for this. Look at all the stuff you already have in the baby's room. What are you going to do now that your baby's dead? And I did what I knew to do. I did what I was trained to do. I stood on that word. I laid hands on my wife. I, I prayed and I prayed. I prayed my guts out. I made the doctor look again three times. And nothing changed. And nothing made sense. And I was ticked. Because it wasn't right. And it wasn't fair. And it wasn't anything like I heard. It hit me in the deepest place you can hit me. You didn't just hit my baby, you hit my promise. You didn't just hit my baby, but you hit my identity. You, you, everything I know that I am, everything that I've ever become was in question in a moment. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and they said, you know, that you're too far along. You can't just do a DNC. You've actually got to give birth. We've got to send you over here. I did something I didn't want to do. To be honest with you, I, I wanted to get a bottle of Jack Daniels. And, but I knew I had to get to the house of the Lord. I knew I had to get to the church. I walked in the back door and into my pastor's office. And I, we plopped down on the couch. and We wept. And he tried to console us. And he said something about the mercy of God, which made me mad. How could this be the mercy of God? In the midst of him ministering to us, all I can tell you is I didn't respond out of emotion, but my spirit man took over my body and I just began to scream. Lord, even if you kill me, still I will trust you. Lord, I don't understand it, but I don't need to understand it. Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. We went home to tell our children that there wouldn't be a baby sister. and We sat them all down on the couch and told them what happened and my little boy, my baby boy Caleb was weeping. My three-year-old Benjamin said, it's so sad, but sometimes Jesus sends dead people back like the lazy guy in the Bible. <laughs> he was talking about Lazarus. <laughs> and all of a sudden my daughter piped up. She said, I see her, I see her, I see her. Mommy, Davy, Jesus didn't lie to you. I see her. The baby you won't get to hold, Jesus is holding. 
She doesn't grow up on the earth. She grows up in heaven. I see her. I see her. Jesus is pushing her on a golden swing set with all the other babies who never got to live in the earth. She gets to grow up in heaven. I see her. I see her. Jesus didn't lie to you. She's dancing around the throne of God in golden slippers and she's singing. And when she sings, Jesus holds his hands out so the angels get quiet so he can hear her voice. He didn't lie to you. He didn't lie to you. He didn't lie to you. Not of the mouth of children. Nursing babes. He brings the deep things to life. And I began to reap what I sowed because I didn't start out preaching through microphones. I started out praying for kids as I was a cook and a janitor of a Christian school. I'd hand them their sandwich and say, you're going to prophesy. You're going to be great. You're going to be using government one day. You're going to be an amazing worship leader. And all of a sudden, in my darkest moment, my daughter began to minister back to me. Gave birth to that. Beautiful black-haired baby girl. Got to hold her for a moment. Did her own little private memorial thing and committed her to the Lord. Went home and Sunday came a couple days later. My wife didn't want to go to church, but I knew it's what I needed to do, and I took the kids. And little did I know when I walked in, it was baby dedication Sunday. When I'm home, I prophesy over all the babies. And there were eight of them that day. So I did my job. When I came off the stage, I was broken like I've never been broken before. I went to take my seat, and we had a guest preacher that day named Dwayne Allen. He's A.A. Allen's great nephew. Before I could sit down, he grabbed me by my shoulders and he shook me. He said, the Lord wants to know what you want. You want boys, you want girls, you want twins, you want triplets. And I said, I'll take two boys, I'll take a Joshua and an Isaac. But I couldn't tell my wife because we already had the talk about no more kids. And if I did bring it up, she did something like this. I don't know what it means, but I'm sure it was painful. <laughs> about a year later, we healed and moved on and life was good. I went to Columbia on a missions trip and one that I've talked to you about a little bit this weekend came home and my wife handed me a stick with two pluses on it. She said, you know what this means? And I, I said, you had a popsicle? <laughs> and, uh, I'm not that dumb. Realized she was pregnant. We were so excited. Went through all of the nine months of going to the doctor. And we were excited but fearful at the same time. You know what I'm talking about? You go to the doctor and you were so afraid that you'd see your baby with no heartbeat again. But we pressed through and we declared and we had his name that he'd be Joshua and I'm 
November 1st, 2005, Joshua was being born. It was a perfect pregnancy and perfect labor and delivery until the end. And she's getting ready to push. The bells and whistles and alarms went off in our room. Doctors came rushing in and there was no heartbeat. And they said, we've got to move quick. We've got to get the baby out. And they got him out and the cord was wrapped around his neck three times. For five minutes, he didn't breathe. And all I can say is in the name of Jesus, not this time. Not this time. And I grabbed his foot. And I prayed in the spirit in the name of Jesus. And I didn't care who heard me. The doctors tried to push me out of the way, but I wouldn't let go of my boy's foot. I just started prophesying, you'll live and not die. You'll prophesy. You'll declare the word of the Lord. And after five minutes, he let out the craziest, loudest scream I ever heard. And I made a covenant with God in that moment. Not before, but after. That no matter how loud he gets, I'll never complain. I regret that covenant. <laughs> he is my loudest boy. And he's a dreamer, man. Joshua dreams the dreams of God. I, I lay down next to him at night when I'm home. You know, tell me about trips to heaven and about his sister and about what he sees and what God tells him. And he wants to be an astronaut and a preacher. Maybe he wants Martians to be saved. That's beyond my theology, but <laughs> go for it, dude. When he was in kindergarten, he came home crying one day and said, Dad, I don't want to go to school anymore. I said, why? He said, because they make me color between the lines, and I don't like to color between the lines because I'm creative. <laughs> He's why I didn't get here till late on Thursday. It was Dad's day in his class. I can't miss moments like that with him. He's got crazy faith. Crazy faith. A couple of years ago, we were preparing for a conference at our church called Hope Rising. And at six in the morning, I'm sitting with my computer, just praying, talking to the Lord, typing up some notes. And he gets up and sits with me, and he has this amazing, incredible morning breath. <laughs> it's awful. It's putrid. It will gag a maggot. And he cuddles with me, and I love those times. And he starts kissing me on the cheeks. And he's like, I love you. You're the best dad. Most accurate prophet I know. Then I realize quickly he's working me over. He's come boldly before the armchair of grace, doing butterfly kisses. He's like, I love you to infinity and beyond. And then he starts working it. He goes, six in the morning. Dad, mom's still asleep. I said, I know. He said, so can I have a popsicle? I said, no, man, it's six. You can't have a popsicle. He waits five minutes, morning breath all over again. I love you. I should have just gave him one to cleanse the palate, you know? 
He comes at me six times every five minutes. And after I tell him no six times, he looks at me and says, but daddy, I feel hope rising. I said, you go in there and get you a twin pop and me one too. My mama never let me have one before noon either. Now you may call it manipulation, but for the sake of this message, I call it faith. Later on, we had an Isaac. Why am I sharing this to you? Because in that story and in mine, you'll find the process of your promise. Some of you in this room right now, you've got a word from God. Some of you, he spoke to you when you were three or like me when you were six. Some of you, you opened the page and it was like scripture jumped out at you. Maybe you got called out in a meeting and Bob Hazlett or Sean Bowles and they gave you a prophetic word. And it feels like everything is opposite or contrary to your promise. And you feel like your baby's dead. I'm here to prophesy to you today that the Lord's about to resurrect your dream. Here's what I've discovered. That every dream seems like it has its death before it has its day. And when you feel like you're at the farthest away from what God said, you're actually really, really close. There are words I got 17 years ago that I thought were going to happen in three days. Or three years. And 17 years later, I'm just walking out. Here's where I'll attempt to close. Shortly after I moved to Pensacola, I was in a Winn-Dixie, a grocery store. I was the janitor. I was making like 32 bucks a week from the school, 32 bucks a week from the church. And as a janitor, I was working 12 hours a day in the church, but I was so thankful to be alive, so happy to be in the house of God. I lived with my pastor and I was on a ramen noodle budget. Know what I'm talking about? Best 13 cents you'll spend. And I'm praying in the ramen noodle aisle, trying to discern, do I need chicken, beef, hot and spicy, or shrimp? And I'm praying, and I'll never forget it, Mandy was, pray, was playing by Barry Manilow. Oh, Mandy, and this bald-headed, four-foot-ten, missing a front tooth, Cajun guy came in, named Shannon Abair. Never met him before. And he comes up to me. You ever see swamp people? That's where he's from, Lafayette, Louisiana. And he comes up to me as I'm trying to discern. He goes, hey, boy. I needed a teleprompter to understand him. Hey, boy. What does God call you to do? I said, I think I'm a pastor. I said, oh, no, 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 boy. I guarantee you ain't no pastor. God called you to be a prophet to the nations. You're going to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives be touching, change, and you're going to win your brother. And then he goes, He goes Pentecostal on me. 
Mandy's playing. He just lets out, man, in tongues and wind dixie. Freaked me out. He goes, I guarantee, boy, God's going to use you to raise the dead. That's crazy. That's real crazy. This is not at the altar. Bethel music's not playing. Aaron's not on the guitar. You don't have an amazing keyboard player behind you. Mandy. So I went home, bought chicken in case you were wondering. <laughs> Make my ramen noodles, I'm sitting there. I said, Lord, that's crazy. How am I ever gonna raise the dead? Lord said, son, I need you to start thinking like a normal Christian. You'll never see anybody raised from the dead till you pray for dead people. Here's what I did in simple childlike faith. Call me naive, call me crazy, I don't care. Started reading the obituaries. I put the only suit on that I had. And I'd go to the funeral homes in Pensacola. And I'd go through the receiving lines. John was a good man. He loved faith and fishing and guns. His golf game was a little off. I read the obituary, memorized it. Sorry for your loss. And I go to the casket. John, can you hear me? My name's David. And I'm here to break you out. If you can hear me, John, open your eyes. If you hear me, John, squeeze my finger. Don't pull it, squeeze it. In the name of Jesus, I declare you'll live and not die. You'll prophesy to clear the word of the Lord. Rise right now in Jesus' name. Nothing happened. So I went to the next room. Prayed for Mabel. From Cantonment. Place in the north of the county, just a little country town. I prayed for a hundred dead people in the funeral homes of Pensacola. And then I got caught. I went to walk in one day to Faith Chapel and they stopped me. Said, we've been watching you. And there's no way that you know every dead person in Pensacola. Threaten me with a restraining order. I said, now what am I going to do, Lord? I said, I need you to think like a normal Christian. You won't see the dead raised unless you pray for dead people. So I went back to the church. No, I'm just kidding. I found out who was over maintenance and janitorial services at the local hospital. And I took him to Red Lobster. Because the way to his heart and his keys were through his stomach. And I said, Alan, do you have keys that get you in everywhere? He said, yep, everywhere. I said, even the morgue. He said, are you some kind of freak? I said, no, I'm just a normal Christian that has a word about praying, about raising the dead, and I want to practice. 
And he looked at me kind of funny. I said, well, look, your doctors practiced medicine. It didn't work. I want to practice raising the dead. It might. And he said, I'll get you in, but if you get caught, you don't know me. And I prayed for 100 dead people in the morgue of the hospital. Nothing happened. And then I got caught. That's why I have five kids. It's the only way we got back in the hospital. And no cable. Three of you got that one. In 2008, I flew out to Uganda, preached to 40,000 people. It's crazy, man. People sitting in trees that look like the New Testament. On the last day of the meeting, this mama came and she walked from the Congo border carrying a little boy with malaria. Two and a half days she walked, and after the two and a half days, about six hours before she got to us, the baby died in her arms. She made up her mind, I will not be denied. She walked for six hours carrying a dead baby. Vultures, flesh rotting off, flies, you can imagine the stench in about 90 degree, humid. She just kept coming. She got to us, the clinic was closed. We were in the last night of the meeting. She pressed her way through the crowd and got to the steps of the stage and there was security there. They wouldn't let her on, so she took her dead baby and started beating people out of the way with his feet. They moved. She got up on the platform and she laid this baby at my feet. There was a Baptist pastor on my right and a Methodist pastor on my left. It was not time for a theological dispensational discussion. She said these words, my baby's dead, so what's God going to do about it? And I realized in that moment that the other 200 times were just practice. At the moment God talked about using a little Cajun boy was right in front of me. People have asked, Dave, did you get discouraged? No, I just got more convinced. It wasn't a matter of if, it was just a matter of when. His name was Samuel. We said, Samuel, we call your spirit back in your body. You'll live and not die. You'll prophesy. And all of the rotted flesh healed over. And that little boy began to cough and sneeze and he sat up. We gave him some matoki, which is smashed up plantains and water. And two hours later, while I was preaching, that little boy that was raised from the dead was playing soccer behind the platform because our God is the God who raises the dead. But I'm also going to tell you this. He's the God who keep his word. I thought it was going to happen one way. And it happened completely different. Here's where I'll end. Many of you all over this room, you got amazing promises. You're going to do great things. Here's what you need to do. Prepare to accommodate. I had a word. I was going to go around the world preaching the gospel. I wouldn't go anywhere. I'd still be sitting in Pensacola on my blessed assurance if I didn't have a passport. You got to prepare to accommodate. 
Position yourself. Posture yourself in the presence. Hear from God. Discern an anointing. Test the word. Let the word test you. Then you believe it. I said it Friday morning. There are many Christians, but there are few believers. But in this place, I feel like I'm in a room filled with believers today. We are not of those who shrink back. But we are those who believe, even to the tearing down of the stronghold and to the day of salvation. Today, if you're in this room, I know I went a little long, but I can't tell you I'm sorry. Because I did and I gave you what Jesus told me to give you. It's the process of your promise. I want everybody to just close your eyes and bow your heads. Jesus is so strong in this room. He's so amazing. He's so good. He's so faithful. I feel him. And he's here today to invade every impossible situation. He's here to heal your hope, restore your faith, renew your focus, and resurrect your dream. If you're here today and you've never encountered the love of God, you've never experienced the goodness of God, in fact, if you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never made that decision to say, Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior. I'm not asking you if you've been a good church member, if you've taken communion, if you've given an offering. I'm asking you, do you know Him? most important thing you can know in this season is Him. The Bible says these words that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's bad news. We all deserve to die and go to hell. But the good news is this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that who would ever For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that who would ever believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world but to save it. So Jesus didn't come today to condemn you. He came to save you. The beauty is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's important to me because you're God's dream. And His dream died once in sin. But Jesus bore our sin on the tree. And God resurrected that dream because you're worth it. God doesn't have plan B. We're his plan A. I've read the book from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. Love every word in there, but I also love two words you'll never find in there, coincidence or an accident. It tells me that everything God does is on purpose, with purpose and for purpose. So you're here today on purpose. The Spirit of the Lord drew you here to hear this message. I may not be the most eloquent speaker, but I pray that you would say that at least he's real. All I am is a real man with a real experience, with a real God that changed everything. If you don't know him, if you've never experienced him, if you've never encountered his love or his goodness, You don't know that if you died tonight, you'd end up in heaven or hell. You can know for sure today that you'd spend eternity in heaven with Jesus forever. 
Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Paul the Apostle said that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, God raised him from the dead, then you're children of God. If you need to know that today, if you need to make that commitment, if you need to say, Jesus, come into my life, wash me in your blood, forgive me of my sins, I, I, I want to serve you, I want you to come into my life. If you've never prayed that prayer, and you say, Dave, that's me, I need to get right with God today. Or maybe you're away from God, you once knew Him, but you walked away. Today, He's wooing you back in, because He's good and He's faithful. And His loving kindness is better than life. If you're away from God, you don't know God, you've never made that decision. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. You say, Dave, will you include me in that prayer? I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to get right with God today. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If I'm talking to you, I just want you to put your hand up and you put it right back down. Dave, pray for me. I need to get right with God. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hands in the back. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand on this side. Thank you. God bless you. Eight or nine hands went up around the room. Come on, that's good news. That's worth the trip. It's worth the days away from my family. It's, it's worth all of that. Because the greatest miracle you'll ever see is when somebody goes from death to life. The Bible says that there's a party in heaven that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes home, when one person gets redeemed. I had some in first service. There's seven or eight of you in this service. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and just come to where I am. I'm going to keep my word. I'm not going to embarrass you. It just makes it easier for me to pray for you. Well, can I do that in my seat? You can. But there's something that happens when you come. There's something that happens when you step out to step in. If you're embarrassed or afraid to come, you can ask the person you came with. And then come stand right behind you. Those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to invite you just quickly to get out of your seat and just come right here. We're going to pray a prayer together. As they come from around the room, Jesus, be glorified. Be lifted up in Castle Rock today, God. Well, this is what I live for. It's what I long for, God. But I want to give you the reward of your suffering. I want to empty hell and populate heaven, God. You know me. You know my heart. And Lord, I ask right now that you would perform your word. You would do a miracle in this place today with everyone who's come. Lord, this is the greatest day of their life. And it's become the greatest day of my life because I'm enjoying it with them. I'm going to pray for them in a moment and ask you that have come to lift your hands it's nothing magical it's just a sign it's an international sign of surrender it just says I give up and I describe it better like this when I get home in a few days as soon as I turn in the driveway my 8 year old is going to be looking out the window by the time I get out of the car he's going to come running full bore with his arms open and he's going to leap into my arms that's how you're coming to God today with open arms he's receiving you and he's picking you up and he's changing your perspective 
going to ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me. Prayer doesn't save you. It's the decision in your heart that does. The prayer is just a tool to help you get there. But everybody in the room, would you just pray in a loud voice? Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. I admit I'm a sinner. I've broken your law and your heart. But today I believe you're my perfect Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being resurrected for me. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my very best friend. From this moment on, I'll do my very best to live for you the rest of the days of my life. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise. into fun to party to partner with the party of heaven to rejoice with heaven right now I'm going to come I'm going to pray for each of you if you're here today and this message resonated with you maybe you're frustrated because you have the revelation but you don't have the application maybe you're broken because it feels like your baby's dead Maybe you've had this word from God and it seems like it's never going to happen because time has come to sift your dream. If you feel like your baby's dead and you said, I need God to resurrect my dream. I need him to resurrect my promise. I want you just to stand to your feet and I believe that God's about to release resurrection life into you. Holy Spirit, you're not a man that you would lie or the son of man that you would change your mind. Lord, if you said it, you'll do it. Because you are the faithful God. And you who made the promise are faithful. But I thank you for your faithfulness right now in this room. Your faithfulness right now in this room. But I thank you that these amazing people stayed late today. Give them a Broncos win for that. Lord, I ask right now that God, you would come. And I've never prayed like this before, but I, I, I'm asking the Lord to come and smother you with his love. To blanket, with, blanket you with his promise. Holy Spirit, right now, come and fill every place. Come and fill every place. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. I'd love to pray for everybody in the room. It's just not physically possible. But one day I'll come back and maybe I'll spend a whole week. Right. Gee, 
Yar told me I was family already, so you don't have to invite yourself to family's house. You just show up. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm showing up at mama's house. My mom's turning 80 this week. Twenty years ago, her dream seemed dead. She would have never thought she'd have had a preacher. Except it was what's in her heart. But my mom prayed me to life. God doesn't waste one tear or one prayer. I don't know who I'm talking to right now. I feel like I'm talking to a grandma or a mama. But this is the promise of the Lord. Your prodigal can't outrun your prayers. Your prodigal can't outrun your prayers. Lord, I thank you for mama's prayers. For my grandma's prayers. Lord, for resurrecting me and resurrecting their dreams, God. Come on, right now, I feel the resurrection of dreams in the room. Those of you that have come to receive the Lord, you didn't receive a baby Jesus. You didn't receive a beat-up Jesus on a cross. But a full-grown, resurrected, filled with power from on high, Jesus came to live on the inside of you today. He's putting his hands in your hands, his feet in your feet. He's giving you the mind of Christ, the heart of God. He's anointing you to be his mouthpiece in the earth. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just come? Come like you promised, Lord. Come like you promised, Lord. The ministries, ministry team is getting in place. The pastor wants to come and dismiss as officially he can. I'm going to pray for these and maybe for a few others. But I feel like this word today is our prophetic word. It's a corporate word. It's a regional word. It's a word to the body. I know it's my life message, but I'm just telling you right now. There's so much happening in the realm of the spirit in this place. Don't miss any moment. When I feel the expectation of heaven, it's like Jesus is peeking over the, out the windows of heaven. And I saw him just pacing back and forth like a father, expectant father in a waiting room. I just keep hearing him say over and over again, I just can't wait, I just can't wait, I just can't wait. Come on, the moment we've been waiting for is here. Lord Jesus, would you come? Lord, would you touch this son right now? Lord, would you come and would you bring a healing and life and hope? Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, you don't waste anything. You don't waste a year, a day, a breath. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you've blessed him with long life. Brother, I kept seeing Psalm 92. Psalm 92 over your life. Talks about the day how the Lord strengthens you even in old age and how your children are blessed in in inheritance and come to know Him. And Lord, I just thank you right now for the secrets that He carries. I heard the Lord say that you're a son of the secret things. And I just saw the Father coming to you and I, I saw you 
even as a mature man becoming again like a little boy. I saw the father throwing the ball with you, hanging out with you. And he was celebrating every little thing you did. And I just heard the Lord say, the name of this season for you is celebration. Lord, I thank you right now for your healing hand. Lord, you said by your stripes we're healed. So Lord, to the very core of his being, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, if it matters to him, it matters to you, God. So any ache, any pain, Lord, you are ageless. You're the ancient of days. You don't see us in time. You see us in eternity. Lord, heaven has him healed. I can't explain it. I've never seen it before, but it was the most beautiful thing. I just saw the pen of God. I saw him writing and said, October 2nd, 2016, my son was healed. I feel like he's, we're stepping into what he's recorded on the calendar of time. Today's a day of complete healing for you. Lord, right now, Lord, I thank you for strength and stamina and a sound mind. Lord, I thank you for a miracle memory. I saw a notepad like a detective would have and heard these words, the facts, nothing but the facts. Lord, I thank you right now for the facts of heaven, the truth of heaven. Lord, the glory of heaven, Lord, has come upon him like never before. Lord, I thank you for showing him deep and great, wonderful things. In Jesus' name, Lord, come in him like never before. Lord, let him experience the fullness of peace, joy, and love. In Jesus' name. So if you guys, if anyone else wants to come up for prayer, we're going to have ministry teams up here. You guys are dismissed, but don't go. If you need prayer, don't leave before you come up and get prayer. If God's putting something on your heart, take this opportunity. Love you guys. Have a blessed, blessed day.